The last time that we saw Jesus, where we left him at least last Sunday, was he had just healed a deaf and mute man. And he'd also fed 4,000 Gentiles. Uh, Does it mean something different if I call them pagans? He he fed 4,000 pagans, 4,000 unbelievers, already 5,000 believers, the Jews, now a second feeding. And so healing this man and doing this feeding, we talked about how, do you remember, this is the lettuce and the cheese in the story sandwich. If I say that, are you with me? I'll try to say what that means very quickly. Mark and other biblical authors, especially Hebrew poetry, like to tell stories or give ideas, something like a sandwich, where you at least have two bookends, two pieces that match on the outside, and one piece in the middle that's sort of the the key to unlocking the whole thing. And Mark does this all the time just with a piece of bread and a piece of bologna. It's, just, it's not really bologna. It's meat. It's real meat in Mark. Um, a piece of bread, a piece of meat, a piece of bread, story sandwiches. Then suddenly here in chapter 8 and 9, we have we're really the first story sandwich he tells only instead of just a piece of bread and a piece of meat, well, maybe maybe it's not lettuce and cheese, right? Maybe it's like a, a piece of steak and a piece of chicken and a piece of ham. What do they call it, a club? Something like that. Anyhow, he puts a lot more into the story. And the first piece of bread in this story sandwich is the Syrophoenician woman who is on page 843 of your pew Bible in Mark chapter 8. I'd like you to turn there so you can kind of see this this sandwich idea, if it's not making sense to you, I'm sorry, ask me about it, yeah? But I want you to see it on the page. Page 843, uh, you have this Syrophoenician woman, this woman who shouldn't know who Jesus is, shouldn't be one who is saved. Even Jesus says, I didn't kind of come for you. And she says, I believe in you. And he says, okay, you do, you're right, you're mine. That story there on page 843, verses 24 to 30, then precedes the healing of the deaf man and the feeding of the 4,000 that we just talked about. So you can kind of see that there, right? Those three stories come in a row, the woman, the deaf man, and then the 4,000. And then there's the meat, which we looked at at the end of last week. We didn't spend a lot of time on the meat in this sandwich, but but there it is. Uh, No sign will be given to the Pharisees to prove Jesus is the Christ. That's the the middle of this. So here's this woman who doesn't deserve to be saved and she's saved. Here's this man who cannot hear and yet he hears the word of God, right? You have salvation taking place. uh, And then he's just going to feed people manna, bread from heaven like Moses of old. And no, I won't prove it. I won't prove it at all. And then from there, we get to what happened on Wednesday night which is that the disciples, after this conversation, hear Jesus say, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they say, he's hungry. Where's the bread? And then there ensues a discussion about how they don't understand anything that's going on. Um, But what I want to give you this morning, just as a reminder or a a hat tip, if if you weren't here Wednesday, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? And what is the leaven of the Herodians? Or are they the same thing? And well, if you go back and you look in Mark, 
the Pharisees and the Herodians aren't around a lot. You have a lot of scribes and other people like that, but Pharisees and Herodians, they haven't shown up much yet, except they did show up in chapter three together where they decided to make an alliance to destroy Jesus. And then from that point on, you see two major confrontations with the Herodians or with Herod and and the Pharisees. You see Herod killing John the Baptist. uh, And then you see uh, the Pharisees demanding proofs in that little meat text we just looked at. So so what is the leaven of, of Herod? It is the leaven of cowardice that we learn from the story of his murder of John the Baptist. Cowardice before the word of God. He heard John gladly, yet he killed him. What's going on? You hypocrite. That's the leaven of Herod. Uh, uh, the leaven of the Pharisees is, yeah, I see all those miracles. I understand. Yeah, but, but he hasn't proven it to me yet. I think there's reasons. Uh, both of these are ways to reject the faith, which comes from God as I'm choosing to save you. Right. On the one hand, oh, really? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I'm going to keep doing this. And on the other hand, I don't believe you at all. Right? Those are the two rejections, the leaven that comes against the faith. And he says, beware of that. Notice how then this talk about leaven and bread between Jesus and the disciples is a parallel to that feeding of the 4,000 story right on the other side of our little piece of meat in the story. Can you see that? It's right there. You have to turn the page back and forth to see it right now. But you have that piece of meat and you got two stories about bread. And now what happens next? We had a story about a man born or a man who was deaf and mute. Now we have a story about a man who's blind. And same outcome, Jesus heals him. Yeah. Uh, following that, uh, the, um, the piece of bread that matches up with our Syrophoenician woman, the woman who shouldn't believe, who does believe, we get a story about St. Peter. It's a great story. It's a story of the confession of the Christ, right? He says, you are the Christ. But it's also the story in which a new story opens up going forward in Mark. It's going to be swimming around three different passion predictions that Jesus gives. Three different times Jesus is going to say, I'm going to the cross directly. The first one is in this story about Peter saying, you're the Christ, so that Peter can say, you won't go to the cross. And Jesus can call Peter Satan. And I want you to see the bread here again, matching the Syrophoenician woman. A woman who's a pagan, who shouldn't believe, who gets her prayer answered, and a Jewish man who's an apostle, who does believe, and he gets called Satan. This is Mark's motif, right? Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him. They don't see it. They're blind. And again, this is there so that we will see, what is it? That you, not them, you were blind. And you actually were, were deaf. And you were mute. Born in Adam's sin. Unable to see the true God. Unable to hear any good word about him. And certainly unable to pray, praise, or give thanks to him until his word entered into you to redeem you, buy you back with his blood, wash you, sanctify you. All these good things that are guarantees to you in your baptism. And certainly, which are fed along the way by the blood of Christ that we shall drink together today. And so you have been brought through this same reality that the disciples are. Of being understanding not what God is, and yet given that understanding in Christianity. Your very real Christianity. Your trust. Sandwich closed. 
but new thing opened, right? Uh, the prediction of the cross. And we get into this uh, road that Jesus is going to take toward the cross. Uh, there's going to be four verses that happen then uh, that we did not look at yet. And then there's going to be all the stuff we looked at the first week we did Mark, which is the transfiguration story and the demon that they couldn't cast out story. That's about to happen. We're not quite there yet. First, Jesus has a few more words about the cross, which he tells in verses um, 34. Oh, I wrote it down. Yes, verses 34 to 38. We're not going to read those right now. But the summary of that is Jesus asked this question. What will you give in trade for your soul? Like, if you're going to get in a barter contest with God, you got to get your soul out of God's judgment. What, what would you give? What would you do? That's the question he asks. It's, it's a pretty powerful question. And then he goes and he transfigures himself. <laughs> Kaboom. I'm God, by the way. And, oh, look, I can cast out demons that even the guys I gave the power to cast out demons to can't cast out. Because they forgot to pray, more or less. So that's, again, the story we started this whole thing off that brings us to right before our actual text today. Uh, so now we're, we're moving our way on to page 845, where if you would look with me at least at verse 30 and the title above that, there's the second passion prediction. Right, so we have one passion prediction, two stories, second passion prediction. And I, I, we will just read this here. Uh, verse 30 says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here, even though it's like the whole point. <laughs> it really is. The, if you don't see this, you don't see it. Jesus is going to die for you. He did, and then he rose for you. And anything else we talk about in Christianity, if that for you isn't believed because of something that's in the way, what is it? Is it what I said or is it what you've done? I don't know, but something's in the way of you believing. Yeah, no, no, you too. That, the point is to get that. Every week, to be reminded every week, oh yeah, me too. Oh, yes, he's actually on my side. How can I know this? Because he, he, he died for me, for you, right? So this, this is the whole point, which is then, if, you might, if you're asking the question, why is Mark so hung up on Jesus' humanity, right? There's been this like kind of odd brother Jesus uncle thing going on where he gets angry and cranky and tired and all this stuff that is emphasizing how human he is and yet how powerful he is all at the same time. Why does that matter? Well, look, the guy who has the power to do whatever he wants is so human they can murder him if he lets them because he has a better idea. That's kind of where that all goes, right? But in the meantime, and we're not going to read through this text, but you can look at verses 33 to 37, just skim over it as I talk about it, and they get in an argument about who's the coolest. Which one of us, Jesus, 
They didn't ask Jesus. They're talking to themselves. Which one of us gets to be known throughout history as the most awesomest disciple and apostle that there ever was? And, you know, Jesus, who is always confrontational in Mark, isn't in on this conversation at all, but he decides to be because he does have, you know, divine knowledge when he wants to. So he just inserts himself into the conversation. And he more or less shows that that conversation is really a conversation about who's in charge. All of the posturing to be cool that our society does is really just trying to gain power to get your way. So it's really about authority, right? And in one era, authority would have involved swords a lot more than it does these days. Although then again, I suppose... I don't have enough authority to have a sword that matters these days, right? I don't get to carry around a briefcase with codes in it and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what I do have the power of is the word of God. We could, as Christians, we can understand that as well. That's going a little bit of a different direction there. Uh, Jesus' point is that the disciples are arguing about who gets to be in charge and who does get to be in charge. Jesus does. Yeah, they're arguing about who's the coolest. It's like, hey, guys. Hello. Like, it's, it's never going to be you. I'm Jesus. Right? He, he inserts himself into that conversation by inserting a child into the conversation. So in the text, what he does is he takes a, a little child. The word means, it can mean baby. It can mean 12. A, you know, imagine seven. You know, kind of the average little child. A uh, seven-year-old, and he puts this seven-year-old in the midst of this group of austere men talking about how they're going to rule the world together. And he says to them that if I send this kid to you with orders, his word is my word. Which in their society would be insane. You would never, any kid comes up to you, I was sent to you by the king, told him, you would be like, whatever, kid. Kids were disrespected. We idolize kids today. We treat them terribly, but we idolize them. Back then, they didn't idolize them. They just uh, disrespected them. They, didn't, they weren't thought of as being fully human. They weren't competent. They can't survive. They can't survive. And in a world based on survival, then they're, they're a hindrance, if not an asset for later. But certainly not someone you're going to consult on any matter. You're never going to be like, hey, kids, where do you want to go for dinner? Like, that's not going to happen in the ancient world. They don't, they don't look at them that way. They aren't not human. They're just small, not as intelligent humans who will someday grow into competent beings, but not if you tell them they're competent when they're not. But if Jesus sends you the most incompetent little kid with snot running down his nose and like a booger in his hair, and he says to you, baptism saves you, I'm an apostle, well, then you have to believe it is his point. And if you want to be insulted, realize he's basically saying, hey, guys, this little kid with snot running down his face, that's you. I'm about to send you. They're supposed to listen to all of you. Why are you arguing about who's in charge? What a silly thing to do. And it's from there that the text you heard read jumps in, where, verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Can't get away from the demons in Mark, really. It's like every every 50 verses or so. Uh, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. You see how it's the same question? Right? Okay, so if you send a little kid, then you send a little kid and you're the king and that's cool. 
but you didn't send that guy. So, so what's up with that, right? They're still hung up on how do I know whether or not I'm in charge now? <laughs> and, and Jesus' point is like, that's a dumb question. Like, if you're in charge, you're going to know you're in charge. Like, I, it's not accidental that I'm in this pulpit. Like, you guys had a big party and brought in other pastors and like sang and prayed over me. It's like really obvious I'm the pastor here now. Like, well, you can't avoid it. It's public. Authority works that way, right? So arguing about who in some kind of metaphysical dream world is the coolest, again, is posturing against each other. But what about that guy? What do you mean, what about that guy? I'm talking about you, right? And and here he goes, Uh, verse 39. Jesus said, don't stop him. Sorry, I contracted that like a Midwesterner that I kind of am. Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So the the theology, the knowledge, the doctrine that we can pull out of this as a whole is that Christianity, wherever it is Christianity, is Christianity. But Pastor Fisk, what about the Baptists? Yeah, well, are they Christians? You have to ask, what do they believe about Jesus? What do they say of him? Is he God and man? Did he die on the cross and rise again? Right? You got to go to the creed for these things. That's why the creed is so valuable. Uh, and, And maybe here's the best way to just learn immediately how we can practice what I just said is we can start praying for the other three churches on our corner. Praying that God would bless them with faithful teachers who believe the Bible is true, who care about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who are pro-life, who are pro-family. So that this whole corner, can you imagine? We're not just praying by ourselves for this area every week. I mean, we're not already. They're right there. Do you know that? We have uh, African-American, black, I don't know. what Am I racist for saying it? Uh, We have a black congregation. Baptist, they moved up about two years ago into that older building. I don't know what was there before when it was empty. Um, pretty active group over there. Uh, and then we have this Pentecostal Assemblies of God Church just down Riverside on the right. Uh, and they, if you, if you drive by Riverside at all, they're always got like pallets and trucks in their, in their parking lot because they have this big food program for the West Side, which is well, pretty cool, honestly. I'm really glad that that's there. Um, and then just a little further this is probably my, my favorite part of telling the story. Um, is, you know, you're watching uh, the news at night and you're worried about the Russians and they're just down the street. Huh? Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church is, is sitting there uh, a little bit further down. And if you want to see some real live Russians playing soccer on Sunday afternoons, you can, they, they're doing it right on the lawn. You can drive by. They got picnics and stuff. So we have three other groups of very different than us Christians who actually we shouldn't commune together at all. That's why we practice closed communion. We shouldn't share each other's pulpits at all because we have serious disagreements about real matters of what the Bible says, but we shouldn't try to stop them either. And we shouldn't worry about who's better. Who's God blessing more, us or the Pentecostals? They got more cars. That's kind of where Jesus is going with this. Yeah, but then he, he turns it too. Because remember, it's not about them. It's about, it's about you. It's about us. And, and if you're going to be all hung up on how great you are, then the thing you need to be worried about is how hell is probably where you're going. 
The greater you are because you want to be, the less thy will be done, Deo Valente, the less thy will be done has been said in your life. And so the warning that comes out of this is like, okay, you're worried about someone over there casting out demons that is actually setting people free from the devil in the name of Jesus Christ uh, because I didn't send them. I say, if they're not against us, they're for us. But if they are against us, that's where we're going next, right? If they are against us, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So, so what if uh, one of these three churches you know, were the Jehovah's Witness out, outpost that's down Riverside even further, and they just moved it up here and it's there? Now, and now we're dealing with non-Trinitarians. Uh, they have a very different Jesus than we do. They don't use wine in the Lord's Supper. There's all sorts of things that really m- remove them from Catholicity uh, entirely, right? Should we try to you know, get them legislatively removed from the yard, right? Uh, go, go to the county and and petition, right? Uh, what, what can we do against them? I don't know. But what he says again is, in a sense, leave them an, alone, knowing that judgment day is coming. That their punishment's not not hiding. It's just it's just coming, right? And so it would be better if they weren't even here right now. But but they are, and so it's going to be like again this great millstone story. And uh, I can't, I, I don't want you to see this like a cartoon. I want you to see this as real as you can, you know, out somewhere, maybe on a, on, on a, a massive yacht, uh, you got a gangster, you know, you know, a couple of guns, and uh, they got this guy with a bag over his head and they're tying a rope around his neck, right? And then they've got this huge safe, you know, the full size, adult size walk-in gun safes. Uh, they're on the deck that they've got with a crane. It's tied up and they're going to drop it. And they drop it. It falls in the water. It starts going and the coil of rope starts going whoosh, 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 right? Yeah, you see what's coming now, right? The guy with the bag on his head standing there doesn't know. And then suddenly yank poof, down into the depths. Uh, it'd be better uh, to have that happen to you than to go to hell. That's the story right there. Boom. That's it. Because the next thing he's going to do is, is talk about just how dangerous, how, how real the future judgment which is coming is. And so instead of worrying about the false teachers who are out there and what you can do to stop them, commit yourself to being the Christian that God makes you to be, which means then really understanding how this world is not worth keeping for the next world. Remember that question Jesus asked, what will you give? in exchange for your soul, yeah? So, uh, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled with two hands than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, 
how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, in that paragraph, Jesus does change his metaphors a couple times, and we're just going to focus on the main one, which he tells like a parable uh, three times, and it's your, your hand, your feet, your eyes, the same thing every time. This is a key part of your body, and it would be nothing short of near suicide slash self-mutilation uh, to do what he says, to cut off a hand, to gouge out an eye. Um, but he's merely telling a hyperbolic parable that is uh, not a tall tale but a extreme scenario he's going to the far extreme to make his point no really if plucking out your eye got you to heaven for sure guaranteed wouldn't you do it if it was the only way or are you more content with this life and that's the question right you feel that pressure i hope a little bit you know and and don't be completely disconnected from the Old Testament to see that when God showed up to Abraham, he didn't say cut off a hand or a foot or an eye. He said cut off a different piece and do it to every boy ever. And it was the promise that they were going to go to heaven. And it kept them all the way down to the day that Christ Jesus had it done to him. So Jesus isn't being incredibly radical here other than that he wants you to consider the seriousness of your faith as the saving factor, his work for you that prevents you from going where the worm does not die and uh, the fire is not quenched, which, uh, be ready to turn the page here, uh, that's from Isaiah chapter 66. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 66 to end uh, the sermon today, and that is on page, I don't have it yet, I'll have it for you in a moment, um, uh, or page 626. Isaiah chapter 66. Verse 24, Jesus quotes when talking about the severity of Judgment Day's wrath upon evil and all evildoers. And in order to make his point, Jesus of Nazareth quotes the last verse of the book of Isaiah. Which surprised me when I learned that because I always thought the end of Isaiah was happy. You know why I thought that is because it is. And here's the real kind of mind explosion moment. If you want to have it today, hell's part of the happy in Isaiah. It's the good news that the evil all goes away. If you look at the verse right before it, uh, uh, it's actually, no, I'm sorry. It's the same verse. It's just the first half of the verse, verse 24. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. In heaven, you're going to see hell, I think. That's what that said. And it's going to be a joy to you to know that God reigns. And to know the devil's not going to ever have his way. It's a memorial of sorts. If you go back and you look at it, I mean, it's not like this is bad. Uh, the entire place is going to be this mountain of God. Uh, let's skip back to the start of 66 here. Uh, let me look, let me look. I did not prepare this moment, so I want to get a good one. Yeah, verse 12, 66, 12. For behold, I will extend peace to her like a river 
and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of Jesus shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, Jesus will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will Jesus enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by Jesus Christ shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares Jesus. For I know their works and their thoughts, and their time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come to see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lude, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. That's you. That's you, the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to Jesus Christ. That's you, baptized. On mules, dromedaries, to the holy mountain Jerusalem, says Jesus, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take as priests and Levites, says Jesus, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says Jesus, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Jesus, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Now, in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, I mean, it's, it's a sermon about hell. We probably need to talk about hell more. We don't need to fixate on it. You're about to drink the blood of Jesus. That's your salvation from it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise for prayer.